All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I've got my buddy Neil Lamb. And Neil has been on the show in the past, but this is actually the first time that I get to talk to him on the podcast in person. And so he was on his way out to Virginia back home um, from Colorado. And he's like, dude, I'm going to stop by. We need to get together and hang out, do a hunt, do something. And so we planned a duck hunt and went out and did that this morning. Had so much fun. It was actually his first duck hunt which I couldn't believe because he loves to hunt everything. But we're going to talk a lot about that. We're going to talk about Neil's 2021 season and what 2022 has in store for him. Now, before I get to all of that, I've got a couple things. I've got some thanks that needs to go out. I've got an exciting announcement and a little bit of a cliffhanger. So first of all, I want to say thank all of you or thank you to all of you that went on and voted for Hunter Lashinsky in the big game hero contest. Uh, it meant a lot to him. I know it meant a lot to me just seeing your guys' support, not only for me, but for the people that are important to me. That was awesome. Um, he got so many votes. The fact that he made it as far as he did was incredible, but unfortunately he did not make it to the next round. And so he's out of the competition. I don't think he's too worried about it, to be honest, because he has so many awesome guys in his life. If you listen to the past podcast, we talked with him, his dad, his uncles, his grandpa, and uh, yeah, he's going to have some pretty cool hunts in the future. And so I, I really do. I can't emphasize, emphasize it enough. Thank you guys so much. Now I've got a cool announcement to make. I, well, let's, let's start at the very beginning. So I've been listening to a guy named Dan Johnson on podcasts for years. I mean, like since I started listening to podcasts, I've been hearing his voice on the Wired to Hunt podcast as the co-host, and then on the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, the Sportsman's Nation podcast network, and everything he's been doing there. The guy is well-known and a great influence, a great advocate for hunting in the deer world. And so uh, I talked to him on my podcast actually in 2021, we had some follow-up conversations on the phone, um, just hearing about what he's got going on, what I've got going on. And recently he reached out and was like, dude, you're doing great things. I would love it if you would join the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, which I am so pumped about. Like I said, I've been listening to him for a long time, and I actually modeled a lot of what I do off of how he did it, how he communicated, because he's a very down-to-earth, real guy, approachable and relatable. And so, um, yeah, I'm just pumped to see what that partnership, what that relationship holds in the future. And there may be talks of an additional podcast coming out. So I can't give out too, too much information on that yet. The ball is rolling, though, and there are a lot of moving parts and pieces. So uh, here in the next couple weeks, you're going to see the podcast being moved over to Sportsman's Nation and you might be hearing some other exciting announcements. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, let's hop on this podcast with Neil. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And in the studio with me today is my buddy, Neil Lamb. Yep. Dude, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, man. So you just got in from Virginia. Well, actually, yeah. 
you went out to Colorado first, mm-hmm. came back through on your way back to Virginia, yep. and you're like, dude, I've got my bow, I've got my <laughs> shotgun, we should get out and hunt something. Yeah. Luckily, we had an awesome cold front pull through mm-hmm. and or come through, and the temperature dropped to like the teens today, and it's been in the 60s. Yep. So we're, I'm like, dude, we're going waterfowl hunting. Seems we, like that's good for just about any animal. Like when there's a big front that comes through, it just is what you look for. Everybody loves it except for people. <laughs> yeah. Like humans right. are like, this sucks. <laughs> oh, we hate the winter. Why do we live here? Yeah. But other than that, like all animals seem yeah. to move better during a front. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the science is behind that. If it's like, oh, crap, winter's here. We better get in <laughs> right. gear and go get some food. Time to eat. But yeah, we went down to a lake just south of Ozark, Missouri. And uh, it's a spot that I've hunted for years. You've never hunted it. In no. fact, you've never duck hunted. No. I fly fished there. Yeah. Back, I don't know, five years ago. So, no, like 10 years ago. What did you think about duck hunting? Man, or, it was... Actually, before, what did you think about yeah. it? What were you expecting going into it? Yeah, that's a good question. I think... So, I was saying before, I, I think that duck hunting is like the last lane of hunting that I've been looking to get into, you know, they're, they're like big game animals that I want to go hunt, but it's like generally the same lane where it's like, you know, you're either rifle hunting or archery hunting, Yep. but, uh, with ducks, it's just so different. And so my anticipation, I've always heard people either love it or hate it. They're like, I'm not going to get up and get, you know, freeze my butt off and, and, uh, you know, spend hours out there, you know, getting decoys set up and getting, you know, the boat out there, you know, or it's like, man, there's, it's just like in my blood and like seeing the ducks fly in, like there's nothing like it. So my anticipation was like, I, I have not found a lane of hunting that I don't enjoy. So I was like, I'm sure I'm like, I can tough the cold. I'm going to enjoy it whether we see anything or not. And uh, so, man, I thoroughly enjoyed just being out there. I mean, that we had, I mean, we'll get into it, I guess, but we'll, man, seeing the ducks fly in and um, anytime you can like see what you're after and fire some shots off, like that's what it's all about. Yeah. We, we got fully set up today and it's a little cove that I've hunted for years. Mm -hmm. I mean, probably 10 or 12 years now. Yeah. And in the past, like, Back before everybody started hunting there, it was great. Mm. And then it got to the point where it was like, man, you can have a killer day there, but you might have a terrible season there. Like, you might have 20 days that are awful and one day that's good. And it seems like that's how it is with duck hunting, Mm -hmm. just in this part of the state anyways. But we got out there, and I'm like, man, everything's in our favor. We've got the wind at our back. We've got this cove, and where we had our setup, the, the ducks were all guarded from the wind. With the cold front coming through, I'm like, we might get into some birds. And sure enough, like, Mm -hmm. what would you say, five minutes after legal shooting light, something like that? I was joking with you guys, and I was (laughs) like, man, I can't believe we haven't had ducks in. Normally, when my gun isn't, like, in hand or in my lap, we have birds coming (laughs) in. And I had it at my feet, leaning against my wine bag. And as I'm saying that, boom, these (laughs) teal just bomb in right next to us. So... That's unusual for here. Yeah. I know we talked about it out there, but we normally don't get teal Mm. in this part of the state this late in the season. Okay. But I think because it's been so warm, a lot of the teal normally push out with cold weather, but Mm -hmm. 
I think for probably 100 miles north of us, it's been pretty warm this year. Yeah. And so I think they've all been hanging out. Today they probably moved down here, or overnight they moved down here. Mm-hmm. And you got a nice green wing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to mount it for sure. <laughs> it, when, when we first shot at those, yeah. first of all, we shot terribly. Like <laughs> four dudes. I think I shot three times. <laughs> And we got one bird. Yeah. I I shot one that after the initial shots, I pulled up and shot one like straight yeah. above our heads. And I saw feathers. I think mm-hmm. I blew half the tail off. But, <laughs> yeah, that was the only bird, but it's a yeah. beautiful drake green wing. Yeah, yeah. I know. I've, I I was telling you earlier, I've, I've had animals in the past where I regret not mounting them. And I think this would be one. So I, I think it's, it's just first duck hunt, beautiful yep. green wing. I mean – I think it's got to go on the wall. That'll be cool. I I haven't got a duck mounted yet. Yeah. I did. I shot a canvas back on that lake, which is way more rare than a teal. Sure. But I shot a canvas back on that lake. It was my first ever bird in Missouri that I shot. And my buddy was like, dude, hey, I've got a friend up in Kansas City. He mounts birds. He told me he'll do it for 50 bucks for us. Oh, man. So I gave it to him. He was going to get it to his friend. So we threw it in the freezer or whatever. I have no idea where that bird is. What? Yeah, it's just gone. <laughs> I'm like, I asked him That's about sad. it like a year later. I'm like, dude, are those birds done? Yeah. And I can't remember what he said, but it was oh, along man. the lines of like, you'll never get that bird back. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's my only canvas back I've ever killed. Uh, and it was my first bird here in Missouri. So anytime someone says you can do it for 50 bucks, run. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I've had one really good experience with like a discount tax yeah, yeah. deal and another dude from here in Missouri, he mm-hmm. did it. He, he did like shoulder mounts. You could get your, your hide, like turn into a rug, whatever. Yeah. And I was like, man, how much for a shoulder mount? And I think it was like 375 bucks or something. Yeah. He's like, man, I'll do that. And the rug for like 425 bucks. Mm. I was like, absolutely. And he did. And then we, we were moving out to Colorado so I was like, dude, is there any way you could do it like right now? Like I <laughs> yeah. need it back. And he's like, oh man, it wasn't going to be done till this date. Hmm. He bumped it up like two months for wow. me, got it finished. And it turned out great. That's You'll awesome. see it when you go back to Brad's house yeah. in the shop. It's the only white tail shoulder mount in there. Wow. But yeah, he got that and the cape for me and oh, I was man. thrilled. That's the kind of guy you recommend. I know. And then I called him back later and I was like, hey man, do you still do it? Like when I moved back to Missouri? He's like, yeah, I do. I don't do any rugs anymore. (laughs) Or rush orders. (laughs) Yeah, or rush orders. And I was like, well, I don't have anything to shoulder mount right now. I just wanted, I think I shot a coyote or something that I wanted turned into a rug. And he's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I don't do that anymore. It's too much time for not enough money. And Mm -hmm. I just can't do it. So I had, so I shot a, uh, an antelope, uh, two years ago and I was dragging it out and dragged it over some cactus Cacti, is that right? Cacti. I don't yeah, know. yeah. If it's multiple, <laughs> was it a cactus or it multiple? was? It had to have been multiple. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but anyway, so I, was, I, you know, I'm, you know, grew up whitetail hunting, and so I, everything we gut it and just drag it. We don't really pack it out. And hindsight, I should have. I mean, I probably could have carried that thing. It was a, an antelope, yep. but I drug it and got it to the truck and went to throw it in. And like from the front of the shoulder blade back it was just like rubbed off on the cacti Damn. and uh, so ruined the cape. And cause I was going to get it mounted. It was, it was like, I think it was like a quarter inch off of a Boone and Crockett. And oh, uh, so I was like, I got to get this thing mounted. 
And so I had to get a, I had to buy a cape from a guy in Wyoming that, you know, and, but he was cool. He like matched me up with one. He was like, all right, send me some pictures. We'll get, we're going to match it up. So I got one that looks like identical to the one that oh, I shot. That's cool. uh, but it was just unfortunate because then I had to pay for the full mount and the, you know, extra cape and everything. But yeah. It was cool. It worked out. Man, the whole the whole process of getting the hide and like having it ready to mount. Mm-hmm. First of all, a lot of people cut it too short, right? Yeah. They keep the neck yeah. and you can't do that. Like it's not enough for right. And then when, when my buddy Sean shot the moose, I had only had one thing shoulder mounted, but I was like, listen, I know from like fur trade stuff, you tube it out. Yeah. And so you like cut all the way around everything. Mm-hmm. And so we went back like halfway down the chest cavity on this thing, like tubed it all out. It took forever and we got it all done. He's like, man, this is awesome. We kept the head on and we packed the thing full of ice, put like frozen milk jugs up in Mm -hmm. there so that it wouldn't spoil. And by the time we got it to the taxidermist, we bring it up and he's like, who told you to do this? (laughs) And I was like, oh man, I just watch trapping videos and they always tube them out and stretch them and all this stuff. And he's like, yeah, I don't ever do that. And I'm like, wait, what? I thought you were going to be like, great job, man. Yeah. And he's like, no, if you ever get, if you ever want a shoulder mount of something cut straight up the spine all the Mm. way to the base of the head. Hmm. And I was like, interesting. And he's like, that way you can open it up. It won't hold moisture. It Mm. won't keep heat in. And if it's a shoulder mount, you never see the back of the head or the top of the neck uh, anyways. That makes sense. And he's like, so just try to make a clean line. Yeah. It'll be great. Hmm. And then it's way easier to work. You can be a lot cleaner on the rest of the fur, like at the shoulders mm-hmm. around the neck, because you're not having to like slide your hand and knife up in wow. a giant fur sleeve. Sure. And I was like, man, that's really good to know. <laughs> so anybody out there looking to <laughs> yeah, there, do there. a shoulder mount right up the back of the neck. Yeah. And the more, the, the more skin, the better, the more, uh, Fur the better. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, I've always heard that, like, you you can, you know, have too much, but you can't have not enough. Yeah. So, wait, is that right? Yeah. Because if you go too, you know, too, like, yeah. you just save the neck, then that's not enough for the mount. But if you go, like, all the way past the shoulder blades, I mean, get down into the butt if you need to. But yeah. <laughs> like, Well, it, it's cool, too, to know that you can cut the head off, do a European mount, yeah. And if down the road, like right now, if financially it's not an option, yeah. down the road you can still get a cape from somebody else mm-hmm. or shoot another deer and then use that cape yeah. to do a shoulder mount. Definitely. I That's something that I never thought of. Like mm-hmm. I see people hauling stuff out, and I'm like, man, it would almost be worth it just to pay the money to have another elk hide yeah. instead of hauling out that extra weight right. if you're four or five miles back in. Mm-hmm. But that's just coming from a lazy Eastern hunter. So, <laughs> yeah. What uh, what does your year look like? Because I know we talked before. You had gone, um, seek a deer hunting. Yeah. You had had some success. I think mm-hmm. actually, was it right before or right after our podcast? Did you have success turkey hunting? It was yeah. So we had talked right after I shot my first public land turkey. Okay. And like a week later, this was after the podcast. I shot my second public land turkey. That's awesome. So that was sweet. So ended that season well. Uh, and then, yeah, got into the fall, uh, whitetail archery season started in Virginia and I, man, I had these nice bucks on camera. Uh, one was a nice solid 10, just like mainframe 
just like fully typical, great, beautiful buck. Nice. And uh, that was like my target buck. And I had a couple others, you know, like a nice little eight and then kind of like a more non-typical eight. And uh, man, like opening week, the wind was perfect to get in this one stand, got in. I had a little discouragement. The neighbors had set up like just over the border and uh, had a little trouble with some illegal activity that they were doing. Uh, but I persevered. I was like, you know what? I'm here. The wind is perfect. I'm just going to sit it out. And uh, right before dark, my target buck came right in broadside at 20 yards and I choked oh, <laughs> and I, no. I hit him and I hit high and, uh, but uh, there was not a drop of blood, and I, you know, I did my due diligence, looked hard, and then he showed back up on my cameras like a week later, and nice. uh, he made it through that. So he never made a mistake again. But yeah, dude, that dead space on a deer will haunt people's dreams. Yeah. I mean, that little gap above the above the lungs, below the spine. Yeah, it's just a scary spot because mm -hmm. you can shoot him, and I've had friends that have shot multiple deer. Yeah. And they're like, dude, I have no idea what happened. Mm -hmm. It looked like a great shot. The angle was good. It was broadside, but like the downward angle seemed fine. It had to have yeah. caught lungs and same type of deal. They'll see them on trail camera later on. <laughs> They'll shoot a doe later on in the year and it's got a broad head wound and it's yeah. in the top of its back or something like that. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever shot anything through that dead space. Um, I've only, I've only shot two deer that mm -hmm. I didn't recover. And I mean, that drives you crazy no yeah. matter what. Like I hate oh, that. Yeah. I, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday and I was like, listen, I don't, I don't typically do new year's resolutions, <laughs> but I want to be so proficient with both my rifle and my bow yeah. that there's not even like a doubt in my mind that when I release the arrow or pull the trigger, that yeah. animal's going down. And I've been pretty good about it in the Holy cow. 20 years. I've been yeah. hunting 20 years. Wow. That makes you sound really old. I know. <laughs> what the heck? Gosh, this is going to take me a minute to recover from. I was thinking like, ah, 12 years, 15. Yeah. No, it's been 20 years. Wow. Uh, um, yeah, I've, I've been very fortunate to not lose animals. Even, yeah. even when we shoot ducks though. Yeah. Like that drives me crazy when a yeah. duck dives down, like they'll dive down and bite onto a plant at the bottom and just drown themselves and sure. you'll never find them. Mm. Or the dog will chase them and they keep disappearing. Mm -hmm. But no matter what animal it is, I just hate losing them. Yep. Like the, it just seems like a waste of life. Oh yeah, you know? for sure. Yeah, and it just gets your gut. Yeah, I that uh that deer. So this was something you talk about proficiency in shooting. That so I had shot. I I shot through the total archer challenge and and was like practicing religiously all summer. And well, like way more than I typically do. Yeah. But I decided to switch up my arrow setup and I went with the, you know, there's, there's kind of this, and this is probably, you could probably do an hour long podcast on just this, but yeah, I went to a heavy forward of center arrow and I really love how, like actually the Sika deer that I shot and I'll tell you about that in a second, but that was with that arrow set up. And I mean, I, I mean, I shot clean through, buried the arrow, like, you know, 12 inches into the ground on the other side. It was awesome. Nice. Um, but the problem was I switched and I switched a little too late, like right before the season. Yep. And what happened was the gap in my two top pins were uh, not far enough apart. And so with my top pin, I was shooting a little bit, uh, 
low and with my bottom my next pin down i was shooting a little bit high okay and instead of splitting the pins like you know i've got a, a three pin sight yep and and i was just like you know i slid it into place to where it was like in pretty much the right spot and i could shoot you know consistently I was, I was shooting reps over and over and hitting the market you know 20 and 30 and i was you know i felt very comfortable like okay if you know if he comes into 20 i just have to aim a little bit low and if he comes into 30 i just have to aim a little bit high or vice versa however that worked out yeah anyway what i should have done is split my pins but instead in my head i was just like all right when he comes to 20 i'm gonna aim you know i guess that would have been aim low when he comes into 20 yeah and when it when it all came together and my target buck was standing there none of that went through my head and yeah. i just like aimed at his vitals and shot and should have yeah but uh then you better believe that day i shot like 500 reps oh, split yeah. my pins and i was dialed in <laughs> yeah yeah it's so, always on it i mean that'll light a fire under you yeah having any type of miss or like poor placement on a shot yeah. i know for me, even when I'm like shooting my rifle, I try to get out most of the summer. I'll get out like one, one day a week yeah. and go shoot anywhere from 50 out to like 450 mm -hmm. yards. And I love it. But then there's those random times where I pull the trigger. Maybe it's my first time out. I don't go through the motion. Yeah. I pull the trigger and I'm just off. Like I pride myself on shooting like a three inch gong at 450 yeah. yards. And so I do the same gong setup, you know, mm -hmm. I do a big gong up front with a little gong and then I do a big gong and a little gong farther mm -hmm. out and shooting like the three inch gong I'll miss. And immediately it's just gut wrenching Yeah, because I'm like, dude, I don't know if I just barely missed it or if yeah. it was way off. Um, and then I will... <laughs> burn through ammo and then take six months to recoup <laughs> right, it all right. because everything's delayed right now. Yeah. But yeah, it, any misses mm. just drive me nuts. Man. Yep. Yep. I know. And it's so important, man. Repetition, just shooting, especially with a bow because it's free to just keep shooting. Oh, Why yeah. not? You know? So I, I think that, man, it's so important. How and it, go ahead. How far do you practice with your bow? So I like to practice out to like 60. Yep. I would never shoot an animal that far. Uh, at least not like a whitetail, you know, yeah, um, or a seeker deer. Yeah, or yeah, especially not a seeker deer. Uh, but I, I like to shoot out to thirty. I, I'm sorry, out to sixty. Um, just you know, I mean, if you can hit uh, like you know six to twelve inch gap at sixty yards, then I mean, you can easily do that. At I mean, you can shoot a you know little target at at twenty and thirty. It, you yeah. know, it just makes you more comfortable. So um, I would shoot further, but. 60 is about the max range I have at my house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love shooting long range with my bow. I'm in the same yeah. boat. I would never shoot like a crazy far shot on an yeah. animal. Now, if I was like elk hunting yeah. or moose hunting, it would obviously get a little bit farther because yeah. the vitals are just so mm -hmm. much bigger on those. But I hear about people antelope hunting yeah. and shooting antelope at like 75 yards. Yeah, and I'm like, hard to fathom. dude, that's insane. Yeah. But also where I grew up hunting in Wisconsin, a far shot in the woods with your rifle was 75. Right, yards. right. And so thinking about Same. that with a, a bow, just mm -hmm. it seems wild. I did hear, I don't know if it was on a podcast or I watched a video, but somebody was talking about trying to make your timing on your bow shot the same, yeah. no matter if it's 10 yards mm -hmm. or, in your case, 60 yards. Yeah. And that was something that I struggled with when I was trying to shoot mm. I'd shoot 60 yards over and over and over and over, and then I'd bring it into 40 and then 20, 
Well, I found found myself actually rushing the shot on 20 because in my mind, I'm like, oh, this is cake. Right. I've been shooting all day at 60. Yeah. And so then I rush my shot at 20 <laughs> and I'm off the mark and it, I'm like, what am I doing? But yeah. they're like, dude, try to do it in the same time frame for every shot. Just yeah. it, the more that you can keep uniform for sure. every time you release that arrow. Yeah, the more proficient you're going to be with the bow. Definitely, and that's huge too with your bow. Is is just like repetition and everything. Like the way that like where you hold your bow. Yep. You know your point of contact when you draw. Like all of the little things, making sure you do the exact same thing every time is huge. Oh yeah, I I've got into the habit, and it wasn't even intentional, but I always check the tip, like on yeah. the field tip, just mm-hmm. make sure that's tight. Yeah. I always make sure the fletching is like, ang- like my white fletching is straight up. <laughs> yeah, the red ones are down at the side, and it, it's just always the same. Mm-hmm. I do that, then I clip in my release. But what I'm realizing is it's totally different when I'm in a tree stand yeah. because I already have an arrow in. I already have my thumb release clipped on, and so I'm like, I hope that doesn't <laughs> mess me up. Yeah, but I also can't. I mean, I guess I could. I could make a little stand or a bow hanger mm-hmm. and then have the whole setup and every time take it off and do yeah. it. I might do that. Yeah. I haven't thought about doing that yet, but when you were talking, I was like, man, <laughs> yeah, I try to keep it the same, but then I get in the woods and it's yeah. totally different. Right. Yeah. So. It's that, that same thing. Like when I shot high on that buck, it was like everything that I think about constantly when I'm shooting just goes out the window. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even know what my grip was like at all. I just was yeah. like, there he is. That's, I, dude, that's a problem. The moment of yeah. truth, it's like, mm-hmm. unless you force yourself every time to go through that checklist. And I think I heard Mark Kenyon talking about that yeah. on the wired to hunt podcast. Mm-hmm. And he's like that mental checklist yeah. or even write it on the inside of the limb of your bow, yeah. put a sticker or something on that's like, all right, breathe, mm-hmm. draw, anchor, Yep. release, follow through, whatever the, the sequence is for you mm-hmm. to get that in your mind and to just know every time yeah. you have to do it. My other issue is shooting a single pin. Um, <laughs> I have to change that yeah. right before I draw back or do anything mm-hmm. else. And so I'm like, oh, gosh, this could get crazy in a hurry because yeah. I have one time forgot to adjust it, and I had just got done shooting almost mm-hmm. 100 yards uh, I just thought it was the coolest thing that my bow could do it. I think it was the very first day that I had my bow. Yeah. And I was shooting the block target at 100 yards, go up to Brad's house, yeah. set up my target at like 20 and then one at 40, and I go to shoot the 21 and just launch that freaking arrow <laughs> deep into the woods. And I was like, what the heck? This is a brand oh, new bow. Like, did I mess something up? And then right away I was like, I'm an idiot. I'm shooting a single pin. I've never done that before. Man. Now, Now I know. Yeah. Wow. So you want to know something that I did this season? Oh, this sounds good. <laughs> yeah. So I'm in a public land spot, have my mobile set up. I'm, you know, I get 20 feet up in the tree and I'm hunting and not much success that morning. Saw a couple deer. I go to climb out and I go to lower my bow and I've, I've got one of those uh, oh, no. things where it's like a twist tie, you know, mm-hmm. and I twist it and I, I kind of you know lean over and start letting it down. Literally, I get like five inches, and I just saw the twist tie unravel, and I was like, "Oh no!" And I literally could not even bend over to grab it, and it just fell straight to the ground. And I just—it was a brand new bow, just bought it this year, or last year, and first season, first like couple weeks hunting with it, and it hit the ground. 
And luckily, it busted my quiver. So it like bent my where I hooked my quiver onto my bow. Yeah. And I was able to bend that back and get it right. And it messed up my sight a little bit, but I shot and got back in order. Oh, but so it didn't blow your bow. No. Up. Oh, but man, gosh. I was like, my my stomach just went straight out of my mouth. I mean, oh yeah. <laughs> how how far down did it fall? Oh, it was like twenty feet. Oh, like my gosh. probably higher than twenty because I was. My stand was at 20, and then I was above that. And <laughs> That is crazy. That sucks, oh, man. I'm glad it didn't blow up. Yeah. My, uh, do you remember Tony Khalil? Uh, I'm not sure. I think sure. he was there before you. I didn't really okay. know him in college, mm-hmm. but I met him and started hunting with him a ton after. Okay. He got the Oneida Osprey, I mm-hmm. think it's called. Um, just a sweet bow. Yeah. Totally different than, like, the standard compound yeah. bow that you think about. And they were, they were out in Ash Grove at my old place shooting, <laughs> and I don't remember how the story goes. I may have actually talked about this on the podcast before. I'm not sure. He either drew it back and it slipped out of his fingers, or somebody mm. else was just like drawing it back, yeah. and released it. Anyways, blew the bow up. Like had oh. never even hunted with it. I mean, just Gosh. snapped it. And I've heard horror stories about the strings like just shredding through clothing Mm -hmm. destroying like your face or cheek or eye or hand and that type of stuff freaks me out yeah have you seen the the pictures of the arrow shafts exploding and going through people's hands Mm -hmm. dude okay (laughs) you're gonna have to no i'm recording with my phone right now i can't show you yet so if you have an arrow and there's like a fracture in it Mm -hmm. or a break and you don't realize it and you shoot it'll Sometimes it'll snap as it's being, like, launched from the string, and then it splinters and goes into your hand, and then they widen out. And so Mm. there's pictures of dudes, like, in the back of their grip hand with an arrow and all of the little, like, strands of carbon or whatever their arrow is made of. Like, just, just, I mean, it looks like Mm. the net. Imagine, like, a spear fishing spear where the teeth kind of open or the prongs Mm -hmm. open up that, but in your hand. And I've never had an arrow break on me like that. Mm-hmm. I've shot the same arrow by accident. Like, I try to always aim a little bit off if I'm shooting multiple arrows. Yeah. Not that I'm, like, going to Robin Hood everyone, right. but I just don't want to waste money on arrows because sure. I'm shooting yeah. the knocks or tearing fletching off, mm-hmm. whatever. But um, my brother, he shot at his, like, the biggest buck that he's ever shot at. Came into corn back when you could hunt over corn mm-hmm. in Wisconsin and he shot at this buck, and he's like, dude, it just, the arrow exploded as it left the bow. Man. Part of the arrow, like, swung around the broadhead, like the uh, light end of it swung around the broadhead. He's like, it hit the deer in the antlers, what? and then the other part just fell straight to the ground. And he's like, I didn't even know what to do. I didn't know wow. what happened, why it happened. And he's like, that's still to this day the biggest buck I've ever seen, much less had a shot at. And it was an easy shot, too. Uh, um, I think he had his corn at either 15 or 20 yards. Yeah. I don't remember. But that happened to my buddy Ben at Brad's house again. Wow. Shop night. I brought my new bow out. We were shooting. And he shot. And I think he's shooting the Hoyt RX3. Oh, yeah. It's a good bow. Redworks, whatever. Mm-hmm. I Yeah. Super nice bow, yep. and he's a huge dude, so his arrows are long, and that bow just flies. I mean, like, yeah. he's going through my deer decoy almost all the way up to the knock. Like, the fletchings will be in oh, the foam. Man. 
and he shot, and that same thing happened. It just blew up. Two pieces of it went wow. flying. Luckily, we found them both, and that mm. type of stuff freaks me out. So another thing that I do, uh, talking about repetition, mm-hmm. every time I pull my arrows out of my target, I always do like a light flex test and make yeah. sure I don't hear any type of crack or see any fractures because yeah. I would, I'd probably rather get shot like with a gun and know that I'm not going to die yeah. than take a splintered arrow shaft through my uh, hand. Yeah. It does not sound fun. No, it, it looks way less mm. fun than it even sounds. <laughs> so, so you did, you did the Sika hunt. Yep. That deer, um, you got that deer, yep. your target buck is still alive. Do you, do you know target he's still, buck is still alive? alive. Okay, yep. sweet. Yep. He's, he's been on camera a couple times since, since then. And okay. He uh, did not make any more mistakes after that. Yep. So he's he's living free now. <laughs> did you change the tree that you're hanging in? Yeah. Okay. So I have a few locations and uh, and you know very strategically hunt that property by wind. Um, yep. And so, but just didn't have another shot at him. So had a couple other mature bucks that were running around during the rut, uh, but they just did not provide a good shot. So yeah. Um, yeah. What about what about turkey hunting? So you said you got mm-hmm. your second one. Yep. And we talked about how big one of them was. Yeah. Was that this year? No, that was my first one. Oh. Yeah. Okay. That was my first turkey. So that one, uh, I shot. It was I had never turkey hunted before, and I got permission from this farm that I mean there were turkeys everywhere, and I had uh, actually I had hunted turkeys in in Colorado up in the mountains. Uh, that was kind of my first experience with it and it was able to call a couple, uh, hens in. And that's where I like really just started to get like excited about turkey hunting. Cause I got a little taste of it. So I got to Virginia, got connected with this guy who had a farm, let me come and I uh, shot a turkey and I had a couple decoys set up and called them in and they flew off the roost. I mean, I think it was like, I don't remember exactly the time of daylight, but say daylight was at six. 15 by 6 30 i was walking out of the field with a turkey Jeez, so it was, that's it was awesome. one of those fun easy like it all just came together did you get hooked immediately oh yeah. yeah that was like i was set i literally like i don't i think that was the first time i've ever like literally screamed while i was out <laughs> and i was by myself <laughs> i was like yes <laughs> that's so sweet but i i got the turkey uh, I mean, I have the beard and the spurs still, obviously, and the beard was 11 and a quarter and the spurs an inch and a half. And, uh, all I had was just a bathroom scale to weigh. So I waited on the bathroom scale and it said 30. And then I did the whole, you know, I stand on it holding the bird and then set it on the ground. And then I weigh myself and both things came out to 30. Um, that is a freak Turkey. Yeah. Heavy. That's <laughs> insane. That's like an ostrich yeah. man. Right. So I literally, that was my first turkey, and I just assumed it was just, I, I knew it was like a decent bird, you know, because I knew it wasn't a Jake. It was, the beard was pretty long. Yeah. Uh, but I had no clue it was like a really nice bird. Yeah. Um, and so I was actually debating, like, I, you know, whenever I shoot like my first of something, especially if it's like the, the, the green wing teal today, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to mount it just because it's my first duck you know, it's a beautiful duck. I I would love to have it on the wall. Yeah. And so with that Turkey, I was debating, you know, should I mount it? Should I not? And I don't know. I, it was my first one. I was like, I don't, I'm sure I'll shoot more. I'll probably shoot a bigger one, you know, I don't know. And, uh, anyway, so then I cut it up, ate it that night 
and or one of the breasts that night. And I went on my computer and I typed in on the uh, Wild Turkey Foundation website. You can type in your measurements and everything, and it kind of tells you where you fall in your state uh, as far as like the you know records and stuff like that. Yeah. And if that weight was correct, and obviously I did not get it officially weighed, but if the mm-hmm. weight was correct, it would have been the state record bird oh for Virginia. Gosh. So then I was like, crap. <laughs> Dude, that's a big bird for yeah. anywhere. I, I don't hear about 30-pound turkeys yeah. like from anybody I talk to that hunts. Yeah. So, yeah, that's awesome. I, I've i never been one to be like, oh, man, I'm going to see if this is in the record books. Yeah. I've checked on two animals ever. Mm-hmm. One was a beaver that I shot. And it was the biggest beaver I'd ever seen. I didn't know they even grew that big. Yeah. And maybe in my mind, I just thought a beaver was a lot smaller. But I pulled that thing out of the river. And I think wet, it was probably in the high 60s Wow, as far as poundage goes. And then after three days, I weighed it on like a much nicer scale. Or mm-hmm. that was my first time weighing it. But I weighed it on like a really accurate scale. Yeah. And I think it weighed out at like 58 pounds. Mm. And so then I was like, everyone's like, dude, you need to check. That might be a Colorado <laughs> state record. And I wasn't, I wasn't close to the, well, I shouldn't say that. I think I was within like eight or 10 pounds maybe oh, of the wow. state record. Mm-hmm. Not that I go out hunting to try sure. to shoot record book beavers. You know, yeah. I don't know <laughs> that anybody does. But, but hey, if you do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the other one was my turkey from this yeah. year. Mm-hmm. And uh I also discovered that I shot a turkey last year that would have had the state record beard length. Wow. Um, but again, it's just, that's not like the first thing that sure. comes to my mind. Only when people are like, dude, that is gigantic. You need right. to check it out. If it was a buck, it would be a different story because I've followed yeah. records and stuff some on, on yeah. bucks for a while. Oh but, yeah. That's the only reason I even looked into it myself. I, I posted it on social media and, uh, people were commenting, man, that thing is huge. And I was like, well, and I don't even know why at the time I weighed it and did all the measurements. I was just like, I'm just curious. I had, I think I had just recently scored a buck with the Boone and Crockett system. And I was just interested in like getting all of the measurements and stuff. And so I did and luckily, and then, uh, yeah, all these people were like, that thing is massive. And so that's what led me to look on the website. Nice figure it out but yeah and i mean even the scoring process on those i discovered after this year looking at how to officially get mm-hmm. a turkey scored um i don't know if it's nationally or here in missouri in order to to record it in the record books you have to have it done on a certified scale mm-hmm. a lot of like ups stores have certified scales mailing places do yeah. they probably wouldn't be keen on you dropping a dead turkey <laughs> on their scale but um, a lot of feed stores also have uh, certified scales. Yeah. And so you can take it there, but it has to be in the presence of two NWTF members. And wow. so that's also yeah. uh, something to keep in mind. Sure. But what what are your thoughts moving forward after today's hunt? Yeah. So I, I three years ago for one of my family always does this like uh, Christmas thing where everybody like draws a name and yep. you buy a present for just that person instead of buying a present for everybody mm-hmm. makes it easy on the wallet way cheaper yeah <laughs> you don't get as many presents right right <laughs> i think i'd rather have the money to just buy whatever i want <laughs> exactly. than have to buy everyone else right so you make your christmas list and then you have your person you can look at their list and everything so i put duck decoys on there three years ago and someone got me six mallard decoys so nice. that's my start 
And uh, I think next step would be to increase the number of decoys. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Virginia, uh, I need to, I just need to do some more research as far as what the duck flyways are and stuff. I know out on the coast where I go seek a deer hunting, I see waterfowl out there like crazy. Yeah. I uh, don't see as many ducks in central Virginia where I'm at. A lot of geese. I've got some friends actually next week. They're going to take me uh, goose hunting. So, Sweet. Um, so that might even be a next step for me as far as getting into waterfowl. You can but, get hooked very quickly. I'm just going to tell you that. Yeah. I, I love waterfowl hunting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is definitely a passion. It has become less of a passion since mm-hmm. I've lived in Missouri because where we are, like today, the amount of birds we saw today is amazing. Yeah. Um, the amount of birds we shot is on par with what we normally do. (laughs) So one duck, uh, we always joke, we're super pumped if we just don't get skunked for the day and we didn't. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I think you're going to enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think if you can enjoy something when it's like nine degrees, then, uh, you know, you're in it for the long haul. (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, dude, I appreciate you hopping on the call with me. Yeah. Thanks Um, for having me. Where can people find you? Uh, social media, yeah. So I've got social media it's on Instagram. It's underscore the outsider underscore. Nice. Uh, that's kind of my main thing. So yeah, <laughs> that's cool, man. Well, yeah. thanks again. Um, la- oh, sorry. Last question. I don't know if I asked you this on the last podcast. If you could hunt anything, anywhere with any weapon, what would it be? Mm, that's a good question. I so I really want to hunt Neil Guy. I would love to hunt, do a public land Neil Guy hunt in Texas. I think that would just be super unique. Oh, yeah. Um, probably with a rifle. Okay. Because I would want to make sure that I killed it. Yeah. <laughs> but also another hunt that I really want to do is uh, archery axis, uh, free range axis deer in Hawaii. That's Oh, dude. That's, uh, those are kind of two random bucket list animals for me. Yeah. I was just telling my wife about that hunt. Yeah. Two nights ago, we were talking about our 10th anniversary. We want to go mm. to Hawaii. Yep. And I think when you and I talked, you were talking about that. Like you can hunt goats and pigs yeah. and yep. axis deer. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, you can, I'll, I'll give you the credit card. You sit on the beach all day long, <laughs> right. order whatever you want, go to the hotel room service. Yeah. I got to spend a full day or two out chasing something right. in Hawaii. That'd be cool. Definitely. And there's no snakes in Hawaii. Did you know that? I I heard that. Yep. I mean, I don't know if it's still true, but I from think what I understand, true. there's no snakes in Hawaii. Yeah. That place might be my favorite place on earth <laughs> right. knowing that. And there are pheasants in Hawaii. Dude. And I just learned. Why don't to- we go to Hawaii? The wives can hang out. <laughs> Me and you will spend my 10th uh, wedding anniversary in Hawaii. This sounds pretty good. I mean, <laughs> so I just found out two years ago when I started looking into access to your hunting in Hawaii that they had just that year opened a peacock season. You can legally hunt peacocks this- in Hawaii. Hawaii is getting better and better. I never understood the draw to Hawaii. I mean, obviously, giant waterfalls, a beach, tropical paradise, whatever. But, hey, I'm more of an Alaska person. But, man, you can hunt peacocks. There's no snakes. You can hunt pheasants, hogs, goats, and deer. Yeah. It also sounds like a pretty cool place. So (laughs) What we need to do is we say, hey, we're going to treat our wives to a vacation to Hawaii. And uh, when they're asking why are we packing up hunting gear, we say, you know, just want to be prepared all the time. Yeah, always. But <laughs> no, I think if we planned a, I don't know how you would do it. It would be like a partially isolated, partially couples yep. trip out there. Mm-hmm. 
then you guys do your thing. We'll do our thing for part of it. And then when you and I go off to hunt, they have company. Exactly. That's a good plan, man. I mean, it sounds great. We don't even have to tell them we're hunting. We can just say, hey, we're going to go out to the store. And we just say we got lost. Yeah. They're going to be like, why is that giant (laughs) D-shaped case added to our extra luggage? (laughs) That's another $100, guys. But, no, that'd be a lot of fun, Yeah, man. that would be I'd fun. I'd be down to yeah. get on a hunt with you. I so. think both of our wives would be into it as well. I think we could make it happen. Yeah. I'm going to bring it up to her tonight. Yeah. Maybe I'll do it in front of you because she'll <laughs> be less likely to say no. Exactly. Um, well, sweet, man. I appreciate it. Man, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, let's do this more often. Let's do it. All I'm right. down. And that is going to do it for this episode of the podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed hearing all about Neil's 2021 season, about the duck hunt this morning. And I think that this coming year is going to have a lot of cool opportunities in store for both he and I for the podcast. And, um, yeah, I'm just excited to see where it leads. So thank you guys all for your support over this past year. The podcast is going places, as you heard in the beginning, um, joining the Sportsman's Nation podcast network and a lot of other cool opportunities to come along with it. So if you haven't gotten on, though, and left a review and a rating, please do so. That helps the the show out quite a bit. I mean, it gets it in front of more people, the higher the reviews, the higher the ratings, um, and hopefully we can reach out to more people. And I look forward to connecting with a lot more listeners this year. I've really enjoyed having listeners reach out, be on the show, hear their stories, hear their tactics, and how they find success in the outdoors. So lots more of that to come. And until next time, always choose adventure. And God bless.